Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to episode of Living Light Outdoors on the mic with you in the office. It's Friday. It's Good Friday. We are rolling downhill towards the weekend. Going to continue on with our thoughts on our theme of obviously being Passion Week, uh, Holy Week, all of the days leading up to uh, Easter Sunday. So, we are at what is considered Good Friday. We talked a little bit about yesterday why it would be considered uh, Passion Week. Why would we consider this Good Friday? The The best recollection of that is is that it's, it's Good Friday because Sunday's coming. So I, I want to share with you the rendition biblically uh, of the events that happened leading up to the crucifixion. Obviously, we left off last night um, just about where... Uh, there was the mock court taking place with the Sanhedrin. So now where we're going to pick up is um, is where, this is in Matthew 27, I believe, uh, with verse 11, where Jesus goes before Pilate. So, so that's where we're going to pick this up. So verse 11 says, Now Jesus stood before Pilate, the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? In affirmation, Jesus said to him, It is as you say. But when the charges were brought against him by the chief priests and the elders, he did not answer. Well, then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they are testifying against you? But Jesus did not reply to him, not even to a single accusation, so that the governor was greatly astonished. Now at the feast of the Passover, the governor was in the habit of setting free uh, any one prisoner from whom the people chose. And at the time, they were holding a notorious prisoner guilty of insurrection and murder called Barabbas. So when they had assembled for this purpose, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to set free for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For Pilate knew that it was, it was because of jealousy that the chief priests and elders had handed Jesus over to him. So while he was seated on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with that righteous and innocent man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. The governor said to them, which of, you two do, which of the two do you wish for me to set free for you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all replied, let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What has he done that is evil? But they continued shouting all the louder, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but rather that the riot was breaking out, he took water, washed his hands to ceremonial cleanse himself of guilt in the presence of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this righteous man's blood. See to that yourselves. Verse 25 says, And all of the people answered, Let the responsibility for his blood be on us and our children. So he set Barabbas free for them. But after having Jesus severely whipped and scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium, and they gathered a whole Roman court around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him as a king's robe. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and they put a reed in his right hand as a scepter. Kneeling before him, they ridiculed him, saying, Hail, rejoice, king of the Jews. So they spat on him, and they took the reed, and they struck him repeatedly on the head. After they had finished ridiculing him, they stripped him 
of that scarlet robe, and they put his own clothes on him, and they led him away to crucify him. Now as they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they forced into service to carry the cross of Jesus. Now I want to share with you a little history. Crucifixion was invented and used by other people or other groups, uh, but it was perfected by the Romans as the ultimate execution by torture. The earliest historical record of crucifixion dates all the way back to 519 B.C., when King Darius of Persia crucified 3,000 of his political enemies in Babylon. Before the Persians, the Assyrians were known to impale people. The Greeks and Carthaginians uh, later used crucifixion as well. After the breakup of Alexander the Great's empire, uh, they seleucid Antiochus Epiphanes, crucified Jews who refused to accept uh, the, the, the religion of that time. Now, and I've, I've reflected on this a little bit before. Crucifixion was meant to inflict the maximum amount of shame and torture upon a victim. Roman crucifixion were carried out in public so that all who saw the horror would be deterred from crossing the Roman government. Crucifixion was so horrible that it was reserved for only the worst offenders. The victim of crucifixion was first severely scourged or beaten, an ordeal that was life-threatening by itself, and then he was forced to carry the large wooden crossbeam to the site of crucifixion. Bearing this load was not only extremely painful after the beating, but it added to the measure of shame as the victim was carrying the instrument of his own torture and death. It was like digging one's own grave. When the victim arrived at the place of crucifixion, he would be stripped naked to further shame him. Then he would be forced to stretch out his arms on the crossbeam where they were nailed in place. The nails were hammered through the wrists, not the palms, which kept the nails from pulling through the hand. In ancient times, the wrist was actually considered part of the hand. The placement of the nails in the wrists also caused excruciating pain as the nails pressed on large nerves running in the hands. The cross beam would then be hoisted up and fastened to an upright piece that would normally remain standing between crucifixions. After fastening the cross beam, the executioners would nail the victim's feet to the cross as well, normally one foot on top of the other, nailed through the middle of the arch of each foot with the knees slightly bent. The primary purpose of the nails was to inflict pain. Once the victim was fastened to the cross, all of his weight was supported by the three nails, which would cause pain to shoot throughout his body. The victim's arms were stretched out in such a way as to cause cramping and paralysis in the chest muscles, making it impossible to breathe unless some of the weight was borne by the feet. In order to take a breath, the victim had to push up with his feet. In addition to the enduring excruciating pain because of the nail in his feet, the victim's raw back would rub against the rough upright beam of the cross. After taking a breath in order to relieve some of the pain in his feet, the victim would begin to slump down again. This action put more weight on his wrist and again rubbed his raw back against the cross. However, however, the victim could not breathe in his lowered position, so before long the torturous process would begin again. In order to breathe and to relieve some of the pain caused by the wrist's nails, the victim would have to put more weight on the nail in the feet and push up. Then, in order to relieve some of the pain caused by the foot nail, they would have to put more weight on the nails in the wrist and slump down. In either position, the torture was intense. Crucifixion was usually led to a slow, torturous death. 
Some victims lasted as long as four days on a cross. Death was ultimately by asphyxiation, as the victim lost the strength to continue to push up on his feet in order to take a breath. In order to hasten death, the victim's legs might be broken, which would prevent him from pushing up in order to breathe. Thus, asphyxiation would have followed shortly after. John chapter 19, verse 31 through 37 says, Since it was the day of preparation for the Sabbath, in order to prevent the bodies from hanging on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high holy day, the Jews asked Pilate to have their legs uh, broken. After the legs were broken with a heavy blow, the condemned prisoner would no longer push forward or push upward and assist his breathing and would soon suffocate due to the awkward position that was forced on him by crucifixion. At the same time, breaking the legs was more painful than a quicker end with the point of a spear broken to hasten death and the bodies taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man, and the other two had been crucified with him, Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came flowing out. Just a quick point note here had he actually still been alive that that would have been rich blood flowing out of him not the blood and water of of a of a dead body and and he john the eyewitness who has seen it has testified and his testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also who read this may believe for those things took place to fulfill the scripture not a bone on of his shall be broken Verse 37 says, and again, another scripture says, they shall look at him whom they have pierced. Crucifixion was finally outlawed by the Roman emperor Constantine in the 14th century, or 4th century, I'm sorry. So let's get back to some scripture in Matthew chapter 27, verse 33. We talk about the crucifixion. Uh, Verse 33 says, and when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, They offered him wine mixed with gall, myrrh, a bitter-tasting narcotic, to drink. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among them by casting lots. And then sitting down there, they began to keep watch over him to guard against any rescue attempt. Verse 37, and above his head, they put the accusation against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At the same time, two robbers were crucified with Jesus, one on the right and one on his left. Those who passed by were hurling abuses at him and jeering at him, wagging their heads in scorn and ridicule. Verse 40 says, And they said tauntingly, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself from death. If you're the Son of God, come down from that cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, mocked him, saying, He saved others from death, but he can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we'll believe in him and acknowledge him. 43 says he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If he delights in him, for he said, I am the son of God. The robbers who had been crucified with him also began to insult him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, which is around noon, there was darkness over the land until about the ninth hour, about 3 p.m. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, agonized voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, I can't pronounce that. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 47, when some of the bystanders heard that, and they began saying, this man is calling for Elijah. 
Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge and soaked it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest said, Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him from death. Verse 50 goes on to say, And Jesus cried out again with a loud, agonized voice, and he gave up his spirit, voluntarily, sovereignly dismissing and releasing his spirit from his body in submission to his father's plan. And at once the veil of the Holy of Holies of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split apart. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints, God's people who had fallen asleep in death, were raised to life. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city, Jerusalem, and they appeared to many people. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that they were happening, they were terribly frightened and filled with awe and said, Truly, this is the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had accompanied Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. Among them was Mary of Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and Salome, the mother of Zebedee's son, James and John. Now, something I want to make note of here when it talks about that veil tearing, that temple of the Holy of Holies was where the Ark of the Covenant, that you know we hear a lot about the Ark of the Covenant and where it's at and who's got it, but it was in that temple. It was, it was the Holy of Holies. It was the presence of God. Only certain people could go in to, to be in that presence. And the significance of that veil tearing is it, it, it took away the barrier between us and God. And so now we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. As we surrender to Christ, the Holy of Holies lives in us. We become the temple of that Holy Presence of God in us. There's no longer a barrier. There's no longer someone who speaks to God for us. We speak to God ourselves. Verse 57, as we close this out, takes us to Jesus' burial. So when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea, named Joseph, who had also been a disciple of Jesus, He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus so that he might bury him. Pilate ordered that it be given to him. And Joseph took the body and he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, burial wrappings, and he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a large stone over the entrance of the tomb and he went away. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. As the scriptures continue, they describe the religious leaders on Saturday. So this all taking place on Friday, all the way to the tomb. So now, now late in the evening on Friday, he's placed in the tomb. So on Saturday, which is which is the Sabbath day, all of all of the Jesus people are are resting, still probably shocked and in awe of what has just taken place. But the scriptures continue to describe the religious leaders are requesting guards be placed at the tomb. Uh, and, a, and a seal be placed on the on the tomb, a cord with markings, uh, so that it couldn't be tampered with, fearing that his disciples would come and steal him away in the middle of the night. So when when Jesus was put in the tomb and, and the, the 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 stone rolled in front of the entrance, and there's so many descriptiveness, so many descriptions of all of these things, you could really put a lot of history and a lot of research into this. You know how much the stone probably weighed, how big the tomb was. You know, it was hewn out in the rock. There was just a bench in there for the body to lay on. Uh, the stone was just a stone that would be rolled away to keep things out of that tomb. Um, obviously heavy, but yet could be could be rolled or moved. There's a great, some historical things talking about when the, when the stone is found moved, where it was. It wasn't just simply rolled back. 
Uh, it was placed in another position, so it would have had to been moved by a lot of people. Uh, anyway, there's a lot of history to that. So, so, so we've gone from Thursday, that Monday Thursday, where uh, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prior to his arrest. So late in the in the evening, uh, Thursday evening, Jesus is arrested. He spends the entire night uh, in this mock court, in this mock trial. He goes before uh, the, the Sanhedrin. Of course, they've basically uh, pronounced sentence on him to be crucified, found him guilty. They, they go before the governor, Pilate, the very governor. And, and you know Pilate washes his hands of this because he sees no fault in this man. But the people are still crying out. And remember, these are the same people who a week before on on Palm Sunday were were hailing him as King of the Jews. So so now we're we're finding now that, that you know he's being persecuted. He's being mocked uh, throughout the night. He he goes through this process into early mornings of Friday, where when Pilate washes his hands, he's turned over to the people. And these soldiers begin to to rip out his beard, put a crown of thorns on him. I, the the depictions of him being beaten. Uh, the Bible describes that he took um, thirty nine stripes because it was it was believed that forty uh, forty lashes from from a cat of nine tails or a whip uh, would cause death. So they beat him just shy of death. And he, you know the depictions are of, of raw flesh and uh, the cat of nine tails in those days again, historically, would have had pieces of, of possibly pottery shards, sharp stones attached to cords, possibly even bone fragments uh, that would just rip and tear at the flesh. So so you, you, you have to imagine now he's had no rest. The stress that, that they depicted in, in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prayed that he, he becomes so stressed in his physical body that he sweat drops of blood. And now he's had no sleep throughout the night. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. He's been ridiculed. He's been drug around and then forced uh, to to make that walk uh, towards Golgotha's hill. Um, obviously, he must have been in pretty bad shape because they made someone else carry his crossbeam. And then to be nailed on the cross, the the the, the crucifixion description, those those nails going through the wrists. Listen, I've had some medical treatment where they had to stick a needle into my wrist to get into some deep artery inside of your wrist uh, to test for some oxygen level with my heart stuff. That was excruciating, and it was simply a needle. Now, we're talking about a, a spike, a nail being driven between the bones of the wrist right above the hand, uh, and then obviously through the feet. The, the fact of how crucifixion works with the suffocation factor involved you're already been beaten. You've not had any rest. Your your body is just completely shot, and then you're having to to fight in order to breathe to stay alive. Uh, what a what a depiction of of just brutal death that our Savior went through, and He did that for you and I. That's the, that's the ultimate picture that I want to draw here. Everything that you've just been given, every descriptiveness that's just been handed to you, is because of you. Jesus died on our behalf. He took our sin upon him. When that darkness covered the earth, I believe that's when God had to look away from his own son because he took our sin. The Bible says God can't even look upon sin. So at some point, he had to turn his head away from his own son. He couldn't even see his own son because of the sin, our sin, on him. And darkness covered the earth, and the earth shook, and the, the veil tore. All of these things happened because of us. And Jesus did it willingly. He, he went there willingly. So as we head into tomorrow, 
silent Saturday. There's not a lot happens tomorrow, at least not with what we see recorded. There's a great deal that happens spiritually. Uh, Jesus told the thief on the cross, you know, today you will be with me in paradise. So, so Jesus didn't go anywhere. He didn't. His spirit left his body, his physical form, and was immediately in the presence of his Father. That same happened with that thief. The minute that thief gave up his life, he was instantly in the presence of the Father. Uh, and 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 then we we have to wait through Saturday. The unknowns, the quietness, uh, the turmoil going on in our own spirits as we wait and we wonder. What Jesus had said, will it come to pass? Can you imagine being his followers at this time? They've seen so many miraculous things to find themselves at the end of Friday watching their 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 Lord, the Messiah, the one whom they believe is Jesus, the Son of God himself, being laid in a tomb as a dead body. What they couldn't see was what was happening spiritually. Amen. That's what I want you to focus on. Sunday's coming. We're going to endure the quietness of tomorrow, but then Sunday's coming. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for following along on our podcast. Rhonda and I love you. We're praying for you. We thank you for your support financially, for your support prayerfully. If you want to support us financially, all of our giving links on our website, www.livingloudoutdoors.com, pinned right at the top of our Facebook page. Man, we would we would be honored to have you partnering with us financially as we continue the pursuit of what God has given us to do, uh, that we continue to be on this microphone, we continue to travel and speak and do the things that he is calling us out to do. We don't charge anything for what we do. I don't, I don't have a fee for when I travel and speak somewhere. Uh, we let God lead that, and, and God blesses us in the process, and uh, we want to continue to be part of that. Join us, partner with us, be a part of this ministry with us. Uh, We believe that God will give back to you in the same measure in which you give. He'll give back, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, be poured right into your lap. Amen. We love you. We're praying for you. God bless you. We'll talk to you again real soon.